I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Keanu Believe It, the only podcast that is all Keanu Reeves all the time. I am Sam Van Haren, a lifelong fan of the singular Keanu Reeves, and I will be your guide through his diverse and interesting career. Each week, a guest and I will discuss a film from his filmography, which I will be working through in chronological order, from his debut in River's Edge all the way to John Wick and beyond. On this premiere episode, we will be discussing River's Edge, which was directed by Tim Hunter and written by Neil Jimenez. It stars Keanu, Crispin Glover, Ion Sky, Daniel Roebuck, and Dennis Hopper. River's Edge follows a group of teenage outcasts living in a small town as they deal with the murder of one of their friends at the hands of another. Before we get too far into things, I want to welcome my very first guest, David Hart from Talk Film Society. How's it going, David? Uh, it's going great. I'm ready to talk about Keanu Reeves, one of my favorite topics, so things are going well. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're not in the mood to talk to Keanu Re- about Keanu Reeves at all times, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast, so... Yeah, and you probably should just like rethink your life, honestly. True. You start over. Yes, that's also true, but <laughs> if you find yourself listening and you're not a fan of his, one, what's wrong with you? Two, go back, watch his movies, and then join us in, uh, on the right yeah, side of history. Yeah, maybe this will be their introduction to Keanu Reeves' amazing career, and they can follow along with you as you go through his filmography. That would be kind of cool. Exactly. Uh, so speaking of which, uh, since this is our first episode, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Keanu's uh, filmography in general uh, and his career, because uh, mm-hmm. it's very diverse, which is something I... Doing research on this, I was looking at it. It's like, I'll never be bored doing this podcast. Because, <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> uh, just even when the when there, there's some stinkers in there, but as with everyone. But uh, even then, it's going to be fun to just talk about. Because he's never boring in those movies. Uh, even I was, True. I was talking to even some people, you know, I think it was you, about uh, 47 Ronin. I was like, I tweeted, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to. <laughs> that's, that's the one movie I'm like not looking forward to. Rewatching, watching but uh it'll be fun anyway have a conversation about it but uh definitely so uh what do you think about i know you just said you know you're a fan uh but what do you think about keanu as a whole on the whole so i've been a keanu fan for a long long time i don't want to give away my age and say how long but i have been on the keanu bandwagon bandwagon forever so it's been really interesting to see his career have this renaissance, right? Like, you know, especially as soon as John Wick came out, like all of a sudden right. everyone was back on the Keanu Reeves train. And mm-hmm. that's great. I'm, I'm happy that there are a bunch of fans out there now, but there is definitely a part of me, that kind of hipster part of me that is like, man, you haven't been here. You don't understand <laughs> because 
you know, of course, at the beginning of his career, he had a he had a kind of a string of, you know, kind of hits, you know, when you talk about, you know, the Bill and Ted movies, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And then, you know, Hollywood, as it does, tried to make him a cookie cutter uh, leading man. Right. right. They tried to do the romantic comedy route. They tried to do the action route. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, to varying levels of success. But Keanu is a very different type of actor and right. I don't think was ever really meant for some of those roles. And like you said, it's always an interesting performance. He gives there are movies where he is wildly miscast mm-hmm. and yet you kind of can't stop looking at him. You can't right. stop watching his performance because he always does something really interesting. So and Keanu Reeves is one of the few actors that he's very hard to pigeonhole. Like he has he has uh, a couple different uh, niches that he fits into really well, but right. he can kind of change on a dime mm-hmm. and he does some really, really interesting work. So, but there was a time when people were like, oh, Keanu Reeves is a terrible actor. Keanu Reeves sucks. And, you know, he was he was typecast in Bill and Ted because he's dumb and, right. you know, all this kind of attitude. And I think people kind of missed the boat uh, with his performances and they were looking for what the studio executives were looking for. And that's just not what Keanu is going to provide. So I think right. you have to look a little bit deeper at these performances to kind of find the genius that is there. Yeah, I agree totally. And so, I mean, it always comes back to me, the story of, uh, you know, drama teacher saying that uh you know keanu can't act his way out of a paper bag and i was like mm. i didn't quite have the i mean i wanted to get a good grade first but then also i just didn't quite have <laughs> the knowledge to enough to uh so like part of me believed that she was right and i was like but no he's great uh you know people just certain actors need to be used right and he's one of right. those ones that you can very easily be used wrong like the for example the classic example is like Dra- him and Dracula, uh, sure. where he just. But I feel like he just doesn't, you know. Uh, he was going for a completely different thing than everyone else around him, which right. <laughs> is oddly fascinating to watch. Like it doesn't kill the movie at all. In fact, it makes it uh, a little, you know, gives that that extra little bit of oddness to it. But yeah, and and I think he has he has some qualities in him that are very difficult to quantify. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember I was talking to a friend of mine and the first thing that comes to mind when I think of his performances is soulful. There's some depth to his performances that you can't really teach. I mean, even, you know, you know, of course it happens early in his career when you look at stuff like my own private Idaho, which is an amazing, amazing movie. So you haven't watched that yet. Definitely check that out. And all the way to John Wick and the kind of the pain he portrays without dialogue. Like I think he's one of the few actors that sometimes is so much better in a relatively silent role because you can really get into that depth where other actors, they need the dialogue. They need to constantly be moving and talking to get their point across. And he really doesn't. And that's something I think that's really underrated uh, in acting today. You don't get a lot of that, but you do get it with him. Right. Uh, Yeah, for sure. And again, it's just the, the wide range of both characters and movies that he's been in. Uh, He's, you know, he doesn't want to be pigeonholed. He wants to, explore different genres like you mentioned you know romantic drama like with the lake house to uh you know even when he was uh his directorial debut man of tai chi where he's got this crazy unhinged uh performance that he's going all out because he's trying to capture that you know martial arts those martial arts movies where the villain is 
nuts and he does it yeah. perfectly so it's great i yeah. actually really i i didn't see that movie until this year is one that i missed and i loved that performance it's one of my favorites actually and it's so and like you said because it's so different from what you expect out of keanu reeves like you don't expect this over the top villain performance but i'm like you know what i want more of this from you mm-hmm. <laughs> let's go back to this right and uh you know uh thinking more shallow uh he's just a beautiful person right oh like, yes <laughs> true true both both aesthetically and like just from everything he's one of the few actors in hollywood that everything you hear about him there are no there's no whisper network about keanu reeves like right. everything you ever hear about him it's like he's so nice he's so wonderful and i just and i and i have to believe that i have to know that that is true i can't live in a world <laughs> where keanu reeves is not a good dude like he just seems amazing right i feel like that'll be one of you know people talk about this on twitter a lot where it's like he he better not be one of the like i and i don't think he will be but it's like sam Sam, if that happens, you will never hear from me again. I'm leaving Twitter. <laughs> yeah, he'll just, he'll just... I'm not watching movies anymore. I'm done. I'm out. He's the one where if something happens, I'm just going to be inconsolable. Uh, all right. Yeah, so let's dive into... So the first... Uh, obviously, this isn't his first uh, movie. River's Edge isn't his... It's his first theatrical uh, film. And there are some TV movies he did before this, but I figured I'd save those for bonus episodes Mainly sure, because sure. they're, uh, I mean, but as you were, in the '80s, that was basically what you were doing. It was being in those some of those made-for-TV teenage uh, thriller movies. Like there was even one with uh, right. Kiefer Sutherland. I'm pretty sure. Can't remember what it's called. Wow. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just I was I caught that on. I think it was on public access at one point. Uh, it was <laughs> uh, the sign of a great film, right? Exactly. Yeah, so uh, River's Edge uh, is a movie, uh, 1986. Uh, honestly, not the movie I was expecting it to be when I saw that it was his uh, debut film. Uh, when I just watched it, uh, this is one of the movies that I, Keanu movies I hadn't seen uh, before coming on here. But it was uh, not what I was expecting at all. Uh, but I kind of loved it. It's odd. It's its own uh, beast. I don't think there's very. It's hard to describe a movie that it's similar to uh i mean obviously on the surface there's a dead teenage girl so that's you know maybe twin peaks a little bit but uh mm, it's not sure. uh it's not like that at all but it's just you know on the surface <laughs> what is though like right. there's nothing that's True. like twin peaks so <laughs> uh but yeah so uh i think he's great uh in this movie i was surprised how uh, i think he's even better here than some of his you know a few movies later on and it's the right. subtlety of the performance that caught me off guard. Uh, I think it's also because of, like, you know, Crispin Glover. Uh, let's talk about who else is in this movie. Uh, stars Crispin, <laughs> Ooh, Crispin Glover. Glover. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I own Sky, Daniel Roebuck, and Dennis Hopper, which I didn't know before watching it. It's like the opening credits Yeah, that came was on. a surprise yeah. when he popped up. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, big surprise, Dennis Hopper. Speaking of, like, these David Lynch comparison playing these way out there characters right. you know who are just way over the top he's so good at that like i think he has this gift of playing these way over the top characters and they still somehow feel just the tiniest bit real mm-hmm. where if you had you know a lesser actor there it would just be comedic right uh yeah so uh for people who if you're watching this and you haven't seen the movie uh we're gonna spoil it for you but uh <laughs> the you know it starts with uh, a kid we find out is Keanu's character's uh, younger brother, which okay, they don't look anything alike, but it's cool. Like, we'll, we'll just accept <laughs> it. Uh, 
Also, originally it was supposed to be Corey Haim. Oh, was he it? He was originally cast in this, but he got I guess he got really sick and he couldn't film, so they had to recast oh, okay. the role. So, yeah. so maybe that would have looked a little <laughs> better <laughs> with the original cast. Right. So, uh, and it, you know, it starts real, you know, it's dark. Uh, he drops a doll into the river and then he sees uh, a guy across the riverbank next to a dead body. And that's what kicks off uh, the movie. And this is a pretty bizarre movie in terms of tone uh but i think for the most part uh like 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 crispin glover's character he's going for it uh his, his performance is <laughs> big surprise yeah <laughs> crispin Shocking. glover really yeah. going for it yeah <laughs> and boy does he in this movie uh yeah so he's got the uh you know he's got this is definitely a mid-80s movie he's got the mullet and the uh mm. it's just about you know basically it's about this these uh group of outcasts uh in a small town uh, in California, and so yeah, uh, the cast is pretty great. It's pretty much a who's who of '80s uh, actors with, uh, you know, with uh, Crispin Glover, Keanu Reeves, and Ion Sky, and everyone's really. Again, it seems like uh, Crispin Glover is kind of pulled out of a, into a different movie, but it, <laughs> it, somehow it works. Yes. I think because you're not really supposed to like his character, uh, right? And he's definitely supposed to be the most kind of obviously emotionally unhinged Mm -hmm. of these characters. Like, of course you have another character who is, you know, if not bordering on definitely like psychopathic in the way he's interacting with people. But Crispin Glover's character is definitely, uh, he definitely is emotionally unstable for the entire film. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, if, if you're going to have a, uh, a performance that is unhinged, that's the one it should be. Right. Yeah. And so it's basically, uh, we see these kids that are all, you know, there's four, four or five main kids and, uh, you know, they're all clearly dealing with issues, uh, that they don't necessarily get into. Like the only, uh, parents we really see are, uh, which was an interesting, which is actually a really cool choice, which we'll talk to in a bit. Um, but it was Keanu's parents, well, his mom and his, uh, maybe abusive, definitely alcoholic slacker boyfriend who's living with them. And so it's basically them, all, these kids dealing with uh, the culture and the society that basically doesn't care about them. Uh, and they all just basically react to it very differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's something that, that sets this movie apart from most other kind of high school age dramas is, uh, is that it doesn't – I don't think it views uh, these kids as like, oh, these kids have so much potential. It's more like kind of the – you know the the uselessness of life and the, and it's really really dark and i really think the only the only movie i can think of that comes close to uh to that kind of thematically and, and it's not a drama it's something like heathers like it's not looking at these high school kids sure. as as something great it's looking at like oh look at all this waste and look at like there's nothing to look forward to like there's no there's no good adults in this movie either you mentioned right. the parents being gone the only other adult of the movie is dennis hopper you know who's you know uh you know dating an inflatable doll so you know <laughs> it's <laughs> there's not much to look forward to or look up to exactly yeah, and it, and it is one of those, you know, 80s teen hangout movies. It just happens to be that they're hanging out around dead bodies dead and they're, bodies. you know, like uh, in Dennis Hopper's horrifying house. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then uh, Daniel Roebuck plays this one of their friends, who's basically the 
outcast of the outcasts, and he uh, he basically you know murders his girlfriend, uh, and they're very matter of fact about it. Uh, you know when yeah. uh, they all he br- basically just keeps bringing people to the bodies, like not afraid of it at all. He's like, come on, let's bring, let's go look at my you know uh, dead girlfriend's body, and uh, basically the way just the vast differences between. Uh, Keanu Reeves, who plays Matt, uh, and Chris Burton Glover, who plays Lane, just their differences in how they're reacting to this. Uh, you know, yeah. Chris Burton Glover starts like poking it with this, poking the body with a stick, and Keanu's just in the back, just like, which is where I realize that this is a really good performance by him because he's, yeah, uh, you know, he's it's a Keanu performance, but at the same time he's got this, he's clearly getting affected by this more than his other friends, and it he pulls it off really well. Yeah, I mean, I think he definitely has the hardest job in this movie. I think it's the most difficult role because he has to, you know, see what's happening and make a decision at first not to come forward and then portray this kind of crisis of conscience and realize, okay, I have to do the right thing. And it has to be and it can't feel like an after school special. Right. Uh, And I think he does a great, great job of that. And it was really interesting for me to watch this movie. I'd never seen it before, um, but it's based on this real case uh, that happened in Milpitas, California, which is about... 15 minutes from where I grew up. And I remember hearing about this, like my entire childhood, um, like we talked about this, like, and it was like, you know, our, you know, our scary score, scary stories, our ghost stories, like friends of mine, we would drive, you know, late at night in Milpitas (laughs) on this road where it happened and they would tell the story. Oh man. And I remember hearing, I remember hearing there was a movie based on it and then just, it just kind of left my brain. Sure. And then like watching this again, I was, I had this like, holy shit moment of like, Oh I remember this like as a kid being terrified about this and being so confused about like, why wouldn't you tell someone? And like, you know, you watch this movie and it may seem a little over the top that, you know, he's showing all these people and no one goes to the cops, but that's, that's what happened. I mean, that's the reality of the situation and everyone's reaction when they ask like, why didn't you come forward? It's like, why didn't want to get in trouble? Right. And it's the perfect high school reaction of like, well, if I tell someone I'm going to get in trouble, so I'm just going to shut my mouth and let this lie. So it was very weird to watch this and be like, oh, <laughs> this is the story we all used to tell each other at two in the morning when we were out past curfew. Right. So it was definitely a very different experience. Yeah, when I was watching it uh, with my brother, I mean, you know, we kept saying, like, first, in the, uh, you're like, why aren't they saying anything? Why aren't they saying anything? And then you realize, because these are these, that's what these kids know. Uh, they, yep. again, we their parents are all either MIA or just completely Horrible. apathetic or or actively emotionally abusive uh, with, in Matt's case. Um, but, so like, why would they, t- and there's even a scene when uh, basically uh, Keanu's character calls in, because he, he, he calls in the, where the body is, uh, and immediately they start assuming that he did it. You know, that they, right. like, why didn't you tell anyone? It's like, well, maybe because yeah, of exactly how you're reacting. You can't trust adults. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, you know, and it's really, and then uh, I own Sky plays Clarissa, and there's a great like when uh, like there's a part where she uh, wakes up in the middle of the night to go out uh, with them, and her mom's just like, "Is that you?" And she says yes, and then doesn't say anything. We never see her mom like she's just like a disembodied voice. Right. Yeah. Uh, yep. And then she just walks out, and they don't like it's not an issue. No at questions. All. Like, nope. No. <laughs> Uh, one of the issues that I had with this movie was the score is completely out of place. 
It's insane. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we like they just chose stuff at random. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like a, a, almost like a very bad, like, uh, Bernard Herman score, you know, that it was going for, right? Like this kind of right. like a Hitchcockian uh, melodramatic music that's just bad. And then the fact that it's it, always in the wrong moments, too. Like they're, yeah. yeah, this is this is a subtle movie that doesn't need this kind of uh, glaring, you know, like this just awful, awful score. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it the movie would be better served by just ripping the score out and then just using the soundtrack uh, right because it, it does you know there's a lot of metal and a lot of punk in there which really fits kind of the the ideas in the movie about like you know essentially like youth being not having things to look forward to so you have this kind of negative messages coming through the music and you don't really need this score like if you start a movie essentially with a naked dead body mm-hmm. like we know that it's ominous right like we don't need we don't need you to like guide us along that path you yeah know? So and i was just stuck yeah right and i was even thinking while watching it, it was like this is a well shot intense scene but like the music is taking me out of it completely like this yep. is this would be perfect with maybe a with no, again, like you said, no score at all. It doesn't need uh, maybe even yeah. like music in the background or something. But it's just it's it completely pulls you out of yeah. certain it's scenes. Intense in caps. Yeah. Once they put in the the score. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing that surprised me is what you brought up is how well shot this movie mm-hmm. is. Like, there's a lot of subtlety to the filmmaking here. And I looked up the director, and like they ended up with a pretty good career in television, but I think made only two or three films. And it just kind of makes me wonder why. Like, mm-hmm. if this is where you start. I mean, it makes you wonder, like, why didn't this person, do they not want to work in film? Do they want to work in TV? But, like, sure. you know, it kind of, you know, I, even the way they shoot certain characters is different. There's, like, a loving way that they shoot Keanu Reeves' character and Ion Sky's character. And then, you know, the scenes with uh, uh, with Dennis Hoffer and Daniel Roebuck are shot very, very differently and for good reason. So they do a, they do a wonderful job of, like, kind of setting the tone of each of these characters with the lighting, with the way, with the, with the camera angles. I think they do, it's just really kind of wonderfully done. And, you know, one thing I was worried about when I sat down to watch this uh, for the podcast is, you know, like I definitely wanted to be on the first episode because I was like, oh, you know, I want to, I want to be there for that. That's going to be awesome. But sometimes, you know, if you're going to start with the first film in someone's uh, filmography, one, they're not going to be in it that much usually. And two, usually it's, pretty shitty like it's usually a pretty bad movie but this was actually quite good and i was you know kind of blown away by by the quality here like yeah there are some things that are over the top there are some bits of dialogue that keanu is forced to yell in this movie that are kind of like what are you doing but that's not a performance thing that's just a writing thing and like you said you know the music being really out of place and you know the kind of high dramatic moments could probably use some work, but overall, like this is a good movie and it kind of blew me away. Yeah. And I, this is again, this is the last movie I expected for his, for his to be his debut. Um, but it it actually, again, like you said, it just works well. Uh, again, it's clear why he became the guy in the early nineties, right? Like this movie is clear that he's got chops and they're very Mm -hmm. present in this, uh, yeah, and it's really interesting. We talked at the beginning about how he kind of went back and forth with all these different genres. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking over his filmography, and it's kind of amazing to look at the beginning of his career because, like, I had 
I had a certain idea in my head that like, oh, well, maybe he did some of these really dramatic roles like My Own Private Idaho right. uh, first and then ended up moving into comedy. But he kind of went back and forth with things mm-hmm. like My Own Private Idaho, uh, with Bill and Ted. Like he just like, you know, would take these – would ended up being these really good choices and roles. But he wasn't – even early in his career, which is usually the time people get locked in and pigeonholed, he was like out there doing different things and – you know, I actually read this little snippet of an interview with the person who was the casting director for this movie, and she said he was the one person who walked in the room and she was like, that's our guy. Like, I don't need to hear him read. I don't need anything because he – they wanted this picture of someone who was like transitioning from boyhood to manhood. And he like came in kind of sloppily dressed. His shoelaces were untied. But he looks like he does in this movie. Like you could tell he's, you know, growing into being a man and he just like fit immediately. And, you know, even though, you know, it feels like maybe I'm being told to say this because we're on a Keanu podcast. Like he – you could see why he became a star watching this movie like the first scene he's in immediately your eye is drawn to him right. more than anyone else in the film you're just like that's the guy i need to watch and he just has that that it factor right and i mean yeah chris christian glover was more well known at this point so obviously he was yeah. the uh he's the first name we see and it is we do probably spend just as much time as with him uh as we do with uh keanu and uh <laughs> I want to talk about Daniel Roebuck, who's a character actor who's been in stuff from, like, The Fugitive. Uh, you, rec- you might recognize him from uh, those movies. But I, he was he's really good in this, uh, playing basically a sociopath uh, who's yeah. just a dan- – like, uh, it's a pretty intense performance. And he's – it's probably one of his first movies. And he's, you know, going head-to-head with Dennis Hopper. Uh, yeah, those scenes no are very odd, uh, <laughs> like, because we're spending – long sequences in this random guy who gives teenage kids free drugs and we're just supposed to, you know, it's just how it goes. Right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his performance is really interesting because I think, you know, I, he's one of those actors, he's a that guy, right? Yep. Where you see him and you're immediately like, I know that guy from 900 things and I can't pinpoint exactly what he was in. Exactly. Um, and he, it's interesting, even back in, what was this made, like 1986, he still has, like, the same face. Like, you immediately recognize mm-hmm. him as that, as that character actor when he shows up on screen. But usually in a lot of his roles, I don't know, he he comes off as a little bit jovial, nice guy. And for so to see him in this is really disturbing mm-hmm. at, at how good he is. Um, not only in the beginning, but the scene, you know, between uh, him and Dennis Hopper uh, where they're outside and he's like, you know, uh, pretending to get oral sex from this from this blow up doll, it is really disturbing to watch, and it it's one of those interesting directorial choices too, where you could have like faded to black, you could have not gone there, but they like really just let that scene linger to show you like he's not, he didn't just have a moment of being disturbed, he didn't snap. This is someone who's truly disturbed and probably needs to be put down. Like this is not someone who we should save, who should we, we should try to help. Right. And then even uh, with the characters that we like, like uh, Keanu's Matt, uh, he's clearly been affected by this, you know, his father's absent. Uh, mm-hmm. His mom is always working and constant. There's even a scene where she like breaks down and starts screaming like uh, your own mistakes, mom. you know, like, <laughs> oh, you're, like right in front of her eight year old daughter. Uh, and I just I feel really bad for the for Keanu's little sister in this movie where uh <laughs> She's got like uh, you know an apathetic mom and a uh, their their brother who's like 
murders her doll and then murders her again. And there's even a scene where they have a doll funeral and then they cut back yeah. later and they show that her like the, the grave was like ransacked and she's like, he's killing her again. And that's a scene that you know, an eight year old. <laughs> so brutal. Can't. Yeah. I thought that scene uh, that you talked about where she's essentially saying like, you're all mistakes. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this mom shit anymore. Like I'm done. Um, it's a, it's a, it may be my favorite moment from Keanu in this movie. Mm-hmm where there's there's a moment where you can kind of see right behind his eyes where he wants to yell. Right. He wants to be upset too. And then he takes a moment and sees that the rest of the family is there and they're affected. And this is what makes him different from not only all of his friends, but this makes him different from his absentee father, from his stepfather, right. and from his mother, is that he tells her, like, you know, kind of take a breath. I have to go right now, but we'll fix this. Mm-hmm. And it's this really human, kind of beautiful moment with his, you know, wailing sister yeah. behind him, finally seeing a man in their life that she can depend on yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, really nice moment where you expect the movie to go a totally different direction because it is so dramatic. And then the next, but then again, then the next shot is him, uh, you know, like losing it on his brother and, you know, basically starts hitting him. Good. Uh, the kid's the worst. uh and then there's a scene you know then uh his brother get like says that he like betrayed them because he he realizes that he called the cops and it's it's a really interesting that this there's a part you know where the i was convinced that this was going to end much worse than it does uh because it's basically there's a subplot where his little brother goes to try to get a gun to kill him and i was like uh in the climactic scene um we see, and I, I was certain Keanu was going to die, and it was going to be like one of those, yep. uh, like pay it forward where the kid does the right thing, but then gets <laughs> murdered anyway. Uh, right, but, right, right. Fortunately, <laughs> that's not the case. But <laughs> and I also think uh, it's another really great writing choice, actually, because mm-hmm. they could have had that standoff, and they could have had Keanu's character die, which would always be terrible because we never want anything bad <laughs> to happen to Keanu, no matter what movie he's in. Or they could have went the route of like. Uh, you know, he puts the gun at him and then falters and realizes he loves his brother. But instead, they have him pull the trigger. Right, they do. <laughs> and, the, yeah. and the you know, and there's a really great shot earlier in the movie where you see there's only three bullets out of in the six chambers. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like foreshadows that. And then after the gun doesn't go off, then he and Keanu like work it out and figure it out. Right. But I like that they didn't take the easy way out mm-hmm. in either sense. They didn't have you know the gun go off either by accident or on purpose. And they didn't have, you know, this moment where he like, Oh, I looked into my brother's eyes and realized I loved him. And mm-hmm. now everything's fine. Like, you know, had things had the bullet been in the right chamber, like his brother would have been dead. So like, talk about dark, like this movie just right. gets darker and darker and darker as it goes. And this is a movie that starts with a naked corpse. Right. So, <laughs> uh, and yeah, and Crispin, they don't let Crispin Glover's character off the hook. I mean, He's like, mm-hmm. they never just, there's never a scene where he's like, oh wait, I was wrong trying to cover this murder up. It's just, he's still, yeah. he's like broke uh, when uh, San- John, who they call, like John, they call, and there's this really weird thing where uh, the guy, the murderer, his name is John, but it's actually his nickname because his yeah. name sounds like toilet. His it's last like, name sounds yeah. like toilet. There's like a lot of explanation that goes into that where we're all like, oh, okay. What's that really necessary? Thank you. Uh, yeah. For yeah, the, the story. Thing about Crispin, Crispin Glover in this movie is he does kind of get his in a way. Like he's forced to see, like after he essentially mocks the dead body of this girl, mm-hmm. he's forced to see the dead body of his friend and realize 
how terrible it can be. Uh, and I, I think the thing that's interesting is the only there's only two scenes that make him a little bit human mm-hmm. in this movie, and it's the end scene, which is still a little bit like okay, a lot bit played up. Like he is. I mean, he's wailing right. at the top of his lungs when he sees this body, which, you know, who knows what we would do in that situation sure. where you see the body of your friend. So no judgment. But the only other scene that really makes him human is um, when Clarissa is talking about him and about how he he can't manage to have courage around her to kiss her unless he drinks. Uh, and it's 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 oddly sweet that we see this character go over the top for everything. And then we realize, like, he has weakness and he has you know, moments where he's not sure of himself. And that's a really nice moment, but he's not involved in it, right. really. He's off driving his car and screaming and drinking. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, but so speaking of that final scene uh, where he... Uh, so basically, Dennis Hopper's character uh, killed him. Uh, mm-hmm. And... But there's... So the, the, when Crispin Glover finds him, he... Well, when he's... As you said, he was wailing and you know, over the top, but he starts screaming... They killed him instead of he killed, you know, and I feel like that right. that's, a, you know, a powerful reminder of the themes of the movie where it's like he's saying that society killed him because uh, they didn't care about him. And that uh, so that, that's a, that was an interesting uh, decision on the on the writing front. Yeah, definitely. And it, you know, it, you know, I always, when I watch movies, I always kind of, if it's a good movie, I'll think about like what happened before and what happens after. Mm -hmm. Like if you were to, and it makes me wonder what happens uh, to Crispin Glover's character because he now has no one. You know, he feels betrayed by his friends. His one true friend, he feels like, is dead now. You know, his right. his girl is gone. So, like, you know, what ha- it makes me wonder, like, what path he goes down. Like, and it's probably not a good one. Right. And they, uh, again, they make you, at the same time, feel that there's, you know, another dead person. But the way that the, se- the, the final scene of the movie is them walking away, you know, the uh, Keanu and his brother being put into the back of a car, but just because they're taking them away and then the just the matter of fact nature of the way that the body's being put into the amb- into the ambulance is just really like uh it's a pretty it's not it's not a happy ending or a sad ending it's basically just a these kids are gonna have to go back to life now and they're gonna have to try to figure out a way to continue or not and it's very a nihil- it's a very nihilistic movie in the terms that they're not they're not saying that these kids are gonna be fine because they're probably not yeah. going to be so yeah, and I think there's a there's a really interesting thing in the different ways they shoot the two bodies. Um, I think there is a shock value in the first body mm-hmm. that we see in this that we're and it, a lot of it is because like we're not we feel like as the audience we're not supposed to be seeing it just like this child is not supposed to be seeing it and the way it's treated um, it could have been a movie where. It could be very misogynistic and very ugly. Right. Uh, I mean, you do have, as you mentioned, Crispin Glover, like, poking this dead body with a stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't shy away from that. No. They actually show that. Uh, but what they also show is, as you mentioned, Keanu Reeves in the background reacting but trying not to. And then as they bring more people to see it, you see this disgust and this thing that we should not be seeing. Whereas the last scene in the movie, it's just like, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's just meat. You know, it's just like, okay, throw that in the back of the van, I guess. We're done with that. And it's, it's, I don't think that death is, it's interesting. I think we feel more for the death of a character we've never met than this character that we followed throughout this, you know, almost two hour long movie. It comes back to, again, the way that they, the writing for uh, John and for Robux performance, which goes from like 
sometimes you sympathize like he's uh, living with his grandma and he, like he seems to genuinely care for maybe it's the only person he cares about in the world uh, but right. also just he's uh, you know like he's uh, laughing with uh, Dennis Hopper about uh, killing his girlfriend and clearly this is the wrong person to be doing that in front of because Dennis right. Hopper's character also uh, it's referenced that he also killed someone that was important to him but uh, and then there's a moment where Roebuck is describing like the emotion and they show the murder and he's right. describing the emotion emotions or lack of emotions that he's feeling and he talks about how yeah. like for a moment you're like maybe he didn't do this on purpose maybe he's uh, got some kind of uh, it's a mental illness and it clearly is there's some kind of something going on there but at the same time right. it cuts to like that he did that because of for power and then it's like no so this is not right. a sympathetic character this is uh, you know maybe obviously it's sympathetic in the fact that uh, that he probably had a bad life but at the same time it doesn't let him off the hook right. and say that he uh, just did it because it's not like a of mice and men thing where he right. didn't, couldn't control himself <laughs> uh yeah, and there's this weird twisted morality going on between him and Dennis Hopper's character mm-hmm. of Feck, where when they first start talking about it, you know, Dennis Dennis Hopper basically says, like, essentially, I killed her because I loved her so much. Um, and, you know, there's a lot to unpack there, for sure, um, but you couldn't get any more different the reasoning behind their actions. Right. You know, they both did the same thing, essentially. But Samson or John, his his character is just kind of like it's the power aspect and his reaction when people say, like, why did you do it? His reaction is like, well, she was talking shit. Mm-hmm. Like she was talking too much and I was over it. So I killed her. Right. Whereas Dennis Hopper's character is kind of like, well, I just loved her so much. And that's why right. I ended up killing her. So these two, even though you feel like, oh, well, they're both really messed up and have some evil in them. Maybe they'll get along. Actually, they are very, very far apart on this spectrum of why they did what they did. Yeah, exactly. Again, this is a surprising first movie, uh, but I'm glad it's... I'm frankly glad that you know one of my favorite actors has a decent and strange movie at the top of their uh, filmography. Right. It's not like some... Uh, it's funny because the second movie, which we'll be talking about in the next episode, uh, he was a supporting character. It's called uh, Young Blood. It's a hockey drama with Rob Lowe, and he's basically like the third build third or fourth build character so that's kind of interesting that uh, I figured that would be his first movie but in fact his first movie is one that he co-starred in so that was pretty interesting to see yeah Rob Lowe and Patrick Swayze that's <laughs> that's quite a cast that's that's not bad uh, awesome so thanks so much David do you yeah, write for a um, site yeah I do as a matter of fact um, I, will, I write for Talk Film Society so you can visit that at talkfilmsociety.com and I just started a new column there called On Screen Projection uh, which takes a look at movies and psychology because that is my background I'm a PhD student in psychology and I love movies so what better way to combine them both so find uh, my writing there on talkfilmsociety.com uh, and can we find you on Twitter? I'll put it in the bio, but you might as well. Oh, sadly, yes. You can find <laughs> me on Twitter. I'm there way too often. Um, uh, you can find me at PC Case Study. That is the uh, name I used to use when I had my own podcast, Pop Culture Case Study, which is now gone because it's just it's a lot of work. So I don't envy what you have in front of you. <laughs> but uh, find me on Twitter at PC Case Study, and uh, I will be sure to interact there. Awesome. Thanks so much, David. Uh, thanks for joining me on the first episode. I hope to have you back on for a later one. 
Yeah, sounds great. Happy to. Uh, all right, so that's it for the first episode of Keanu Believe It. Join me next time where my guest and I will discuss the 1986 hockey drama Youngblood. Until then, keep being excellent to each other. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.